Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. Today I have two of my favorite guys from Hoyt with me. I've got Hoyt Marketing Manager Jeremy Eldridge, longtime buddy, and Hoyt President Randy Walk with me. And we are going to be talking about taking hunting photos today. Um, just yesterday, Jeremy called me and I happened to be standing over an antelope buck that my son just took. And I was, as soon as I answered the phone, I hit FaceTime, pointed the phone at myself and Jeremy was like, oh, hey, hey, Danny, hey, Lane. And I pointed the phone down at the ground and here's this antelope. And my son had make a, made a beautiful shot on this antelope, but the antelope, he was a mess. He, he was a mess. And I immediately, I was telling Jeremy, man, I, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to take photos of this guy because he, you know, Lane made a great shot. But he rolled around. He's just, he's bloody. He's a mess. I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with him. And Jeremy immediately says to me, dude, we ought to do a, a, a podcast on taking good hunting photos. So pay attention to what you're doing. And here we are. And uh, um, Randy uh, is somebody who's always taken really good photos and has an interest in it. And uh, so he's joined us on the podcast today. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about just how to get better field photos, whether it's trophy photos or whether it's just action photos of your hunt and the guys that you're with and the memories that you're making and things like that. And we're we're targeting this toward the the, the common everyday blue collar bow hunter that with everyday equipment. We're not going to do a deep dive into uh depth of field with with high-tech dslr equipment stuff like that we're going to talk to everybody just about how with your basic equipment to get better field photos so guys welcome to the podcast and and jeremy thanks for the great idea yesterday <laughs> yeah no problem no thanks for doing it and, and uh, i'm glad randy's on because he's he's uh been taking hunting photos a lot of hunting photos for a lot of years and half the time he's by himself he does a lot of diy mule deer hunts by himself and finds himself you know or some guys may be man i guess i'm not going to get a picture i'm by myself and randy's always figured out a way to get great pictures by himself so that'll be uh some great insight he'll bring to the conversation too so yeah i appreciate that it's a uh, it, it is uh, a very important subject, right? I mean, it's always so exciting to hear about somebody's hunting story and then they either don't have a photo to show you or they show you a photo that's just not a really good photo, right? And and, you're, and I always feel bad for them in that scenario because photos are important to me. I mean, at the end of the day, what lasts a lifetime or the next lifetime or the next lifetime after that's going to be that photograph. And and it's always been really, really important to, to me to just to see folks get really good photos of their animals. And, uh, and I'm excited to, to, to be on this podcast today to talk about that because, um, I've had some pretty good successes at it as you guys have as well, but it's hard and you have to really think about what you're doing. And that's what I'm excited about talking about today to help people understand how to go through that process. Well, what's funny to me is that Jeremy immediately says, Randy, he, he, anytime you talk about Randy walk, we're talk, talking about mule deer all the time, but the Randy walk photo that stands out in my mind is that giant white tail. White tail was like 220 inches in Kansas, had a big spread of it in bow hunter magazine, beautiful, beautiful white tail photo. But anyway, I just found that funny that, uh, it, that's the first one that came to mind. Jeremy's mentioned in white tails, but you know, the biggest, the biggest problem for me always is, is that I'm so busy and so focused on hunting during my hunt. And I'm rarely the guy that goes out there and fills on day one. I'm the guy that fills on the, the last day and finding time to slow down and take those photos. It, it, is really hard. You've got to think about doing it before you leave on that hunt. Wouldn't you agree, Jeremy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when we talk about hunting photos, we immediately probably think of the trophy shot at the end, the grip and grin. Once the tag's filled, we need the photo. But man, I've had so many amazing hunts, uh, whether it's the location or the company or the, the people in camp, whatever it was that made it amazing. And I find myself getting home and I'm like, man, I didn't even take a picture of our group in camp. Like I wanted to show my wife, everyone that was in camp with me, 
I didn't even take a picture because I was so in such a hurry every morning to get out and then get back after dark and I never made it happen. So that's one thing I'm trying to do better at is just take more pictures during the whole hunt. Um, you know, people that are there, things I see, whatever the camp meal, just so I get home and I actually have more memories than just the grip and grin, just the tag, uh, yeah. tag out photo. And what's really important about that too, is sometimes you don't feel that tag, but that hunting trip, right. you, you know, was still an awesome hunting trip for whatever reason, um, you know, that, that, that come about. And it's important to capture that. I mean, I have files and files and files of photos of hunting trips where there are no, you know, grip and grin photos. Right. I mean, um, let's face it, right. We do a lot of hunting and we're not always successful. Um, but those hunts are actually part of who we are and what we're doing and the memories that we're making and the memories that we should be sharing and passing down, especially to our kids, our grandkids and our great grandkids down the road. Yeah. Right. Some guys probably need ideas of what kinds of things to take pictures of on that hunt. You know, um, one of the notes that me and Jeremy made when we were talking was get a group photo. Regardless, at some point during every single hunt, you and everybody that's involved and everybody that's with you, uh, you know, take that group photo, whether it's in camp or whenever you can get it. That's just that's just one. What other ones can you think of, Jeremy? Um, I mean, I agree with that one. I think back to the last few years that my grand, both my grandpas were alive and they're really the ones that got me into hunting so much. And we had some fun elk hunts and I don't have any photos to remember that. And now they're gone. Right. So, um, I think that's a good one, but even just like you find yourself, I don't know if you're in your favorite tree stand and, and no one knows why it's your favorite tree stand, but it's cause it's so pretty in the morning when the sun comes up take a picture yeah. of that and then you can explain to your buddy why that's your spot or your wife, why that's your spot. Or, uh, if you have a favorite glassing spot, if you're hunting out West and you always spot elk in this spot, man, why right. wouldn't you want to take a picture of that spot and show it to again, to whoever. So just things that happen naturally that we, we don't even think about cause they just always happen, but stop and think, man, I, I should take a picture of that. That's my, this is my favorite tree stand ever. I've killed most of my big bucks here. I should take a picture uh, of this location or something. So a couple other things I think of too. You know, another uh, really great opportunity too, especially if you're hunting with a friend or with friends, whether you're in camp or you're hiking into camp or you're packing out of camp or you're actually on a hunt where you've got a buddy behind you calling, you know, on an elk hunt and, and, and maybe you're, you're up for the shot or vice versa or however you're doing that, but encourage everybody to take photos of everybody else. I found this to be one of the most you know, rewarding situations ever because I think as individuals, we think about how do I get a picture of me, but the way I get a picture of me is I ask my buddy I'm hunting with to take pictures of me and and what I'll turn around and do is I'll take pictures of him and then we're sharing all of that and yeah. if you get three or four guys especially like Jeremy uh, and I were in a caribou camp together with uh, there was eight total hunters in there and we had a bunch of guides in there and we did a lot of that and when we come back from that type of a hunt and everybody shares every photo they've taken man you just see the entire hunt come alive again right and you've got this collection of photos that's come from all these different people um, is, is a fantastic way to just get a whole bunch of other photos but that can work really well if even if it's just you and your son you take a lot of pictures of what he's doing and have him take a lot of pictures of what you're doing and then collectively when that all comes together you've got a fascinating outline of 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 your hunt and how that all came together yeah right um yeah we you're you're talking about doing that and randy and bill krenz that uh really taught me a lot about photography back when i first started out i used to love it because he would he Nobody prints pictures today. Um, he would come back from every single hunt and he'd take his favorite photos from that hunt and, you know, just doing things exactly like we're talking about. And it's easier. He was carrying around DSLR. Now we have a cell phone in our pocket that you can keep on airplane mode so that you don't burn through your battery. And every time that you stop it at some place and think, oh, man, that hill just kicked my butt. Well, take a picture of that. Just whip it out. Take a picture of that hill that just kicked your butt. Or, you know, that, like Jeremy said, the view from that, anytime you see something that you thought was particularly pretty or anything like that, you snap that photo. And then at the end of it, what Bill would do was he would print these out into four by six images, to just take them to Walgreens or whatever. And he'd buy one of those really inexpensive little 
photo albums that was like a four by six album album and he'd fill that photo albums with those photos from that hunt and then literally catalog all those albums on this bookshelf and every single hunt had a little album of like 25 photos or something like that it was the coolest thing i've ever seen and one of the neatest ways to go back and just be able to review any of the any of your hunts and relive it with your friends but those type of images that you're talking about are exactly the kinds that you need to take the time to take yeah, for sure. And, and you know, the, the thing with the cell phone camera today, I remember when the whole cell phone camera came out, right? And the message uh-huh. that we sent everybody was, don't take pictures with your stupid cell phone camera. It's not good enough. <laughs> well, the times right. have changed, right. right? Your cell phone cameras today sure. take really, really good photos. And um, I try to keep my cell phone within, you know, my front pocket, you know, somewhere easy, one button, a little zip, and I can access it just for that reason, just so that at any given moment, I can just whip that thing out, take a photo. Um, and you just get, you just get more, you just get more. And then the other th- danger I would say maybe with a cell phone camera in the digital age is, is how fast we take that picture and then we forget about it. But I still really do like the idea at some point of doing that download and printing those pictures and putting them in an album, because then they're more shareable when your friends come over, they're more shareable to, to let your kids look at them or your grandkids look at them. And, And I think that's a really good way to finish is to actually get to a printed photo. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree because they just get lost in that, in that digital folder on your phone or on your computer. And I'm guilty of it. Really guilty. If, if you come over to my house and you're asking me questions about a certain hunt or something like that, we're going to go to the computer and open it up because I haven't printed photos in a whole, in a, in a very long time, but it's, it's something that's worthwhile doing. Um, so do we want to talk about some of the common mistakes that people make or do we want to talk about trophy photos at this point um i think that that the first and foremost mistake that people make is just what we've been talking about is just not taking enough photos along the way and even of your trophy when you've got it on the ground there are some guys that snap like two photos and they're done yeah no doubt um i think Definitely the first mistake is not taking photos and the second mistake is not taking enough photos. And I think there's a a big misperception about how, how much time you actually really have to be able to take a photo and still respect the animal and not waste the meat. And, and the reality is if you've got a little bit of time, especially if the weather is cool. Um, I remember, you know, pre-digital, you know, spending an hour and a half trying to take photos of, of my trophy. Now this is, you know, me trying to do this with a, you know, with, with an old school camera by myself off of tripod, you have no idea what you're getting. You, you can't review it. You know, you don't know if you cut your head off or cut the antlers off and you spend hours trying to get a good photo. And, and I was taking 300 photos, 400 photos of an animal. It takes some time to do that. Then you come back and you print them all and then you review them all and you try to see if you've got a good one. And if you took that many pictures, you would typically end up with a handful of really good pictures. Today, digitally, we get instant look at the picture. And I think what that has done to us is we go, oh, I took two pictures and I think I got it. But you're looking at a camera face that's, you know, that's two inches by three inches wide. You can't see what the clarity really is. You can't see what your focus really looks like. You can't, you just miss too much, right? And I'm still, even with my digital camera, and honestly, I'm using my cell phone camera more than ever. I haven't packed a digital camera with me for probably five years. Uh, Cell phone camera's working fine for me, but I'm still taking hundreds of photos. Um, And I'm just trying to get as many photos as I possibly can of as many different angles as I possibly can um, to try to find that really special spot where that trophy, you know, shows off the best. Right. And every animal has a certain angle, a certain look, a certain uh, composure to the the film that really does him justice. And you got to take some time and shoot a bunch of, of, picture so that you can find that particular photo and when you do you'll be so so happy yeah you're you're absolutely right it takes me you know i i don't know an average of probably 50 shots to get one that i'm really happy with when it comes to the trophy photo on the ground with an animal and there's some general rules that i try to follow um to get a good trophy shot um i'd say the first thing that i do when that animal's on the ground there is I, I try to get him away from where he died right there, where you might have a bunch of blood on the ground. And, and sometimes like with a bull elk, that's really tough to do. 
You know, you're not dragging a bull elk uphill. And if you're by yourself, you're going to have a hard time moving him at all. So it might mean that you have to bring stuff in to throw on top of that stuff on the ground, leaves or, or, uh, uh, branches out of pine trees or some dirt or things like that to cover that area up. And then the second thing that I'm going to do is position the animal in a, in a respectful manner. I like to go for a bedded down look um, like the animal would look naturally when they're bedded. What about you, you guys, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think yeah, you're, yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. Well, I'll just say I, I like the same general pose Danny tuck their legs under them like they're bedded don't have their legs sprawled yes. out you know it just is it's probably the the most respectful look for the animal it also gives you the best look at the animal you get to see the size of the body um and in relation to the antlers it's it's not hard to tell what's going on because of the photos at a weird angle so i like to do the same thing get the get the animal positioned like it's bedded its legs tucked under him try and uh you know if the hair's matted weird from it falling or from getting shot try and comb that out just make the animal look look as pretty and beautiful as you can and uh start from there yeah, i think that the, the key and you, you said it earlier danny was making the animal you know being respectful to the animal and making him look respectful i mean at the end of the day the photo really should be about the animal um you know for obvious reasons it's also about us as the hunter and our success and and being able to share the trophy and show the trophy but i really think about the animal a lot when i'm trying to take a photo and i, I want to be very respectful to the animal and that's getting the blood off it it's covering up the blood and it's making the animal look um, you know fairly comfortable right like that he is just laying there as much as you as you possibly can i think those are all fantastic uh, tips and and if you just start with the idea that you want to make the animal look and give the animal as much respect as you possibly can, it changes the way you think about taking a photo of the animal as opposed to just running up there and snapping a, fo- a shot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Were, were you about to say something, Jeremy? Um, no, I was just, I'm, I agree with everything you guys said. Um, so let's talk about that blood situation. Like I was in yesterday, Jeremy, this, this antelope, you know, it was a, it was a great shot, but their antelope has, uh, they're very light colored on top of their back and they're white on the sides. And this guy was just, was just covered. Um, I didn't have a comb in my back pocket like Jeremy does all the time. Um, (laughs) But the way that I that I tried to take care of that is I did have some wet wipes in my pack and I tried the best I could on top of his back at least to take wet wipes to get as much of the blood off of there as possible. But there's been a lot of times in the past where I've taken um, I didn't have enough to clean all the blood off the sides by any means. All I could really do was take dirt and rub it onto all that blood on the side of him. And it, it maybe even take him and and drag him through uh, some looser soil to get some dirt on top of that blood. And the, the animal doesn't come out clean looking that way. But in the end, having that brown on there instead of just a bloody, gory mess is more appealing than than the latter, you know, Um is, is there any other ways that you guys can think of to, and, and it's super important to clean that stuff up guys, like for, for many reasons, just the least of which is that you don't want to, as in a community, we don't want to offend people. Um, it's in our best interest not to anyway. Wouldn't you agree, Randy? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, that is a, that is a big reason to do it. But the, but the first reason really for your own self is, is you're just going to get a better picture of the animal, right? I mean, you don't, who, who wants a picture of a bloody gory animal at the end of the day? We want to see what that animal really was in the wild and how he really looked and be able to see all the character of him, not just, just the antlers. So I think there's just a combination of reasons to do that. And by the way, antelope are tough, right? It's got to be the hardest animal in the world to clean blood up on. But I do the same thing. If I am in a situation where I'm fighting a, you know, a lot of blood, the animal continues to bleed, you know, or some of those kinds of things, um, dirt and put dirt on him, you know, fill his holes full full of dirt. One of the things that I actually do 
And I would encourage everybody to also do is carry a lot of toilet paper in your backpack wherever you go. Now, obvious, there's an obvious reason why we want to do that. But I carry a roll of toilet paper in my backpack so that I know that I have all of that material available to me when I'm trying to help clean up an animal. You know, an animal is bleeding out of his mouth a lot. You can stuff a bunch of toilet paper down his down his throat and stop that blood from coming up. And you can just there's a lot of different things you can do. But if you don't have something to actually try to clean the animal up with in the first place, you know, man, you're just starting off in a you know in a big hole. Yeah, no, I I agree. And once you once you've got this animal propped up, you've got the blood dealt with as best you can. The next step is just what Randy talked about. You've got to address that mouth. If you've made a good shot, a lot of times that arrow's gone through the lungs and you've got bleeding that's coming from the mouth. Randy talked about putting toilet paper down, you know, stuffing it down into the throat to keep blood from coming up. That works really, really well. The next thing is pay attention to that tongue. And most people realize this, but there's a lot of guys, and I've done it myself when I got in a hurry, and I took, you know, a, a complete series of photos and then went back and looked at looked at it, and that tongue is hanging out the side of the mouth where I couldn't see it. You've got to address that, put it in its mouth. It just doesn't look good. The other thing that Randy and Jeremy both pointed on just a little while ago was that you're trying to capture all the features of this animal. We get fixated on the rack and 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 their headgear a lot of times. Man, there's more to it. You know, when you've got a bull elk on the ground or a big mature mule deer, the body size and the color of their of their coat and everything, all of that is really important too. You want to you want to lift that trophy head up to where you're getting all the different angles of the rack like Randy was talking about. But don't get so tight and fixated on that that you forget about all the other appealing aspects of that trophy. 100%. And and quite honestly, back to the tongue issue, if you're having a hard time dealing with the tongue issue, get your pocket knife out and get rid of the tongue. Take it off. Right? Um, there's, there's solutions to that. But these are, again, just the things that you, you want to go through. You want to just think about having the system and this process and going through it. And, um, and, and again, you know, you're going to find your own style, right? And and you, we see a lot of hunters out there and we see the same kind of photo from a particular hunter all the time. And most hunters will end up finding their own style, but don't be afraid to deviate depending on what the animal is. Uh, my goal always with the animal is to make him look at least as big as he is, truly, right? But not... Yep but not trying to make him look bigger than he is. Because as soon as you're trying to make that animal look bigger than he is, you're going to start to have other flaws show up, I think, in your in your photo. For example, you know, the head of the animal is going to look way bigger. He's not going to look proportionate to the body size, you know, and, and, and there's some things like that. And I don't find that particularly uh, respectful to the animal either, right? I mean, I know we all want to shoot a big buck, but the reality is work really hard to get a photo of the buck that represents what he really is because a camera can also create serious ground shrinkage right right i mean the first ground shrinkage is when you walk up to him and he's not as big as you thought he was right and the second one is is when you take a crappy photo of him and he's you just you just shrink him again so work really hard to get a photo that makes the animal look at least as big as he is don't overdo it and try to make him look a lot bigger than he is and this is why i actually like to take a photo where i include a lot of the body of the animal into the photo it helps keep the antlers especially on deer and elk it keeps the antlers in perspective to the size of the animal um, and puts that into perspective but if i'm dealing with a blood situation like you had with your antelope that's a particular situation where i'm going to take a lot of that body out of the Mm -hmm. uh out of the photo because it's just so hard to deal with and it's just untasteful to have all that red in the photo Sure. Well, and I just thought of this. One of the ways that we dealt with some of that blood situation was laying the bow over some of the worst parts. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, making sure that the arrow and the bow, the arrows in the quiver in the bow, the the thickest part of that were directly over some of the worst parts on that. But something that you touched on also, Randy, was that you're going to develop your own style. And over the years, some of my favorite trophy photos that I've taken, the antlers are skylined. So the the head of the animal is is actually on the horizon and the antlers and the headgear is skylined. Well, what I've found was that because I took a few photos in the past that worked out that way, I got fixated on that sometimes. And I forgot to get those, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, I want to replicate what I saw on that one. So I took all my photos with those things skylined. And then when I got done and got back and got to look at it on a bigger computer, 
none of them turned out like those on that particular animal. It didn't turn out the angles Randy was talking about earlier and literally you take one low left and then take a high left down at the animal, down with the ground in the background and not necessarily the sky and then move the camera to the right. Do the same thing again down on your on your first set up on your second set and move around the animal like that and every single different animal is going to be different some of them are going to be more appealing from a low angle and some of them are going to be more appealing from a high angle and the first time that you take the time to do that and and see the results when you're done you're going to be tickled to death and have you run into those situations guys where where your your photo that you that you took at a downward angle looking down and there's nothing but ground in the background ended up being better than the one that is traditional with the antler sticking up above the horizon. Yeah. That's the advantage of taking way more photos than you think you need to is that one of them is going to surprise you. You're like, man, I didn't realize that book, that buck looked so good from that angle. So not only, uh, I, you know, not only do I agree with you that take a ton of photos from different camera angles, but also, different uh head positions of the buck take some where he's looking straight and then tilt him a little bit and then tip him a little bit just get all not only of different camera angles but different head angles and then you yourself as the subject in the photo get in different positions yep too many times the only photo is you're right behind the antlers and then you take the photo and you wash out the antlers you can't even really tell how big the buck is so get to the side you know on the body side so you're sitting behind the animal then try one outside of the animal so you're sitting to the in front of the animal's head with the the body going away i mean just you know try all sorts of different um shots just to just to because at the end of the day you're gonna have you know some of them are gonna surprise you uh, how much you like them you know there's no doubt the, the surprise is is overwhelming sometimes right because one of the things you have to remember is that some animals are super photogenic and some just are not right right yeah. and i remember i killed a, a really nice big buck over in colorado a couple of years ago and it didn't matter what we did with that buck we took a picture of it and i loved it right every picture we took every angle we took you know everything we did with that i mean you couldn't get a bad picture of that deer and it was it was super fun it was a good buck everything worked out really good and then there's that deer or that bull elk or that black bear. Black bears are tough. <laughs> where you just work at it and you work at it and you work at it and just it's just terrible picture in your mind, right? Terrible after terrible after terrible. And you just can't find that right angle of that particular animal. Yeah. And so it is important to to not get stuck in a particular, you know, setting and a particular style. I, I think. Um I, I had a a really good example of this just last year down on the Fish Lake unit here in Utah. I shot a nice bull elk, and uh, this is like a 330 bull elk. So this is not a giant elk, but he's. He, but come on, he's a 330 bull elk. This is a bull elk that I'm going to shoot at every every chance I I get. This is, you know, what what you're out in the woods trying to do when you're elk hunting for most people. And and I set this bull up with some help with a friend that was with me, and you know I went to my normal routine, and here's kind of the picture that I had in my mind, and we'd sit down and look at the, the the camera on the on the phone, and it's like this bull looked like a 280 inch bull. I mean, we were losing 30, 40 inches of of what he, he just could. We couldn't get this bull to look like what he really was, yeah. and I just. Uh, how did we stop? We had a little bit of lunch and I got up and I, and the bull was just laying on the ground and I just started taking pictures, walking around the bull. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, there he is. Right. There's the angle. Right. And he's laying on the ground with his head, you know, with his antlers right on the ground. And, and there was the shot. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have never thought to go yeah. try to get that shot. And I sat up behind him, got the bow in a good place. I was like, have my bow in the, uh, you know, right. I I'm not really worried about having the whole bow in the bow, but I want to have enough of my bow in the picture that people realize and recognize that this is an archery bull, right? And I got my bow set in there and one some of the favorite photos I've ever taken of an elk off that bull. But it took us a while. It took us more than an hour right. to make that happen out of just luck. Well, it's funny. It's why I brought that up because there's been several different times where it – that position that you find is nothing like you've done before. It's nothing like you expected would work out. And all of a sudden, like you said, bam, it's like, oh my goodness, he looks great right there in that shot, you know? And if you don't take the time to do that, then you're not going to find it. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to make sure and cover was there certain times of the day and certain lighting that are very difficult to 
deal with regardless of what equipment you're shooting. Even if you've got the most high-tech uh, DSLR in your hand with you know high-dollar lenses and everything, it can be really, really hard to take good trophy photos when the sun is directly above you in the sky and it is super bright. Or if you're in a situation where you're in timber and that sun is coming down through the timber and in certain spots, it's burning a hole in the ground. And then right over next to it, all over the place, you've got dark shades all over the place and your hat your ball cap the bill of your hat sticking over your face literally when you take a photo in some of those situations you won't even be able to see who you are underneath that hat um fill flashes if you have a camera that does have a flash on it and and finding the settings to make that cash or that that camera fire the flash in the daylight, regardless of whether it's bright outside or not, is one of the ways that I get around it. Um, Randy, you want to talk about that? I've got, even even when you've got better lighting conditions, it's a good idea to take some of your photos with a flash and some of your photos without a flash. Absolutely. In fact, I would say that 90% of the time when I start a little photo shoot, whether I've got friends with me or I'm trying to do this by myself, I'm going to shoot a couple of photos without the flash. I'm going to turn the flash on. I'm going to shoot a couple of photos and I'm going to look for that color quality and see what's going on and then kind of choose a direction to go. But you should always try to try to do a flash. Um, that, that, that midday sun straight up hot, you're out in the sun. That's a very, very difficult uh, situation to deal with. Um, and it's another situation where if you can move that animal to a shady location, get him in some shade, it will help tremendously. Yep. Um, and don't be, don't be afraid of doing that. Right. You can, you can drag a big buck, you know, a couple 20, 30 yards. If you have to, um, it'll be worth it to get the photo, right. uh, for sure to, to try to ease that up. Um, I have another trick when it comes to trying to keep the shade off my, my face. It's called Jer Jeremy Eldridge, right? So what I do is I bring my terrible photos in and I tell Jeremy to Photoshop me up, right? To get in there, play his magic on it. The beauty is in today's world, if you have access to some tools, you can, you can clean up some photos. But I recognize that not everybody does. And so it is, it is important to try to manage the shadows. The shadow of your hat brim on your face is important from the standpoint of how you're going to look in that photo. Um, and you want people to be able to see that it's you and, and see your expression on your face and, and to do all that kind of stuff as well, even though you know that it's you or depending on what you're going to do with it. But the other big shadow problem is making sure that the antlers or a tree branch or some other yes. obstacle is not casting a shadow across your face. That yes. will absolutely <laughs> destroy a photo. Yep. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, one of the tips that I've got for guys when it comes to dealing with that hard light in the middle of the day, like Randy said, moving it to a, a, a shady spot is one. But I want to, if I've got hard light and I'm dealing with that, I want to either try and get the animal and myself into a completely shady spot where I don't have little pieces of sun coming through there or to a completely sunny spot. One yeah. or the other. And if you're if you if you get it into a completely shady spot, you might have some bright sun way off in the background that might mess with it just a little bit, but it's not near as bad as those little pieces of sun rays that are coming down through the trees and hitting all around you. That destroys a photo. If you if you move it into a completely sunny spot, then the only real thing that you have to be concerned about is the shade coming down off of your hat. You have to be cognizant to pull your hat up away from your eyebrows and up there, you know, so that you can get some light underneath that underneath that hat bill so that people can see who the heck's in the photograph. And then, and then again, shoot um, your yeah. flash. If you can get your flash bright enough to work, right. even though you're in the middle of sunlight, get that flash on your face and you'll put a little bit of light on it. Yep. And e even if it's a cell phone, which, you know, it's it's not a powerful flash. It's not powerful enough to completely fill those shadows, but even a little bit will fill them a little. It will give you a little bit more than you had before. So you've got to figure out, you got to look at your settings before you go out there to figure out how to make your flash fire when you want it to, even if you're in bright light. Um, and, 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 so, and another piece, another piece I want to, uh, you know, that just popped into my head when you were, when you were talking about that um, is 
especially because of the cell phone camera's inability to have a really bright flash that will work at a long distance is when you right. are when you are setting up to start your photo shoot this is this is me personally there's two things that i where i always start the first thing is i usually try to start with my camera at about eye level with the animal that's where my starting place is and then like you said you can go up and you can yep. go down and you can go around yep. and eat, you know a number of different angles but i always try to start with my camera at eye level of where the animal's eyes are going to be and then secondly is i try especially with my cell phone camera um, do not use your zoom Right. If you're using your zoom, move the camera closer to the animal. Get the camera as close to the animal as you possibly came can, where you're actually then able to compose the shot the way you want. You fill the whole screen up. You got the antlers all in there. You've got your you, you all in there. You got your bow all in there. But that gets the camera as close as possible to you, so that when you do hit that flash, you've got the greatest opportunity of getting having that flash actually work. A lot of our phones. Daddy. That's exactly right. And getting more light on your subject. The further back away it is, that the the less light is going to get to it. Were you going to say? Something? something jeremy yeah i was just gonna say i mean with with phones today most of our phones are a better photographer than we are mm -hmm. meaning if you are battling that shade on your face oftentimes you can just touch the screen on your phone touching the face and it will automatically adjust and expose that part better i mean the, the phones they're so dang good today so the phone will will sometimes handle that problem for us yeah there was something else that i was going to say about that bright light and i can't recall what it was maybe i'll bring it up here and uh here in a few minutes but well go ahead if this uh if this adds a little a, a flavor to that as well when we're as we're talking about either being in completely shade or being in completely sun mm -hmm. and the idea that this mixed you know media of sun and shade how difficult that is you know yes. for many reasons that's a problem and, and we should maybe talk about that a little bit so people understand why that's such a problem for me personally the biggest problem that has created for me is it washes the antlers out i have had the most difficult time getting a good photo where you really see the antlers when you've got all that mixed light you, some of the antlers have shadows on it some of it has you know uh, sun sunlight on it and all of a sudden you just don't see those antlers and at the end of the day we do want the antlers to pop if we've shot an antler animal we want the antlers to pop and having Absolutely. that animal completely in the shade or completely in the sun you're going to see those antlers far 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 better than a situation where you've got a little bit of both going on well the problem is when you have dark portions of the photo and very light portions of the photo most equipment it doesn't know which one to expose for and even with the cameras now shooting what, what what's called a uh, a layered system um uh i can't remember what the technical term is for it but it's basically combining three different photos where it exposes for the shady parts exposes somewhere in the middle and then exposes for the bright and then blends those three photos together but sometimes the difference between the shade and the bright is so is is so big that the equipment doesn't know which one to which one to uh to properly expose for but randy's randy's absolutely right one of the other problems with trying to get the antlers is you 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 want your backdrop to be as far from you as possible because not only can shadows from from sticks and branches get onto the antlers and wash them off but sometimes things in the backdrop just sticks and branches and things like that that aren't very far behind you that are also in focus can also make it so that it's virtually impossible to see the antlers. Have you ever run into that? Well, you mentioned my big 224 buck out of Kansas. Yeah. That that, that, that picture jumps out to you. And I can tell you that I, I really hate taking pictures of white-tailed deer. I found them to be one of the most challenging animals for me to get a good photo of, partly because their antlers are typically a lot lighter colored based on mm -hmm. the hard timber that they're in um, than say a mule deer or an elk who has really, you know, elk have really, really dark antlers. But it's also because of that, the fact that you're typically in fairly heavily timbered country in a lot of cases. And we use this, you know, and, and oftentimes those antlers just fade away to the backdrop and you can't really see that particular deer that I, that I shot in 2012 uh, over there in Kansas, I spent and it was a good cold day, thank goodness. But I spent hours trying to get a photo of that buck before I was happy <laughs> with it. You know, this is a 19 by 19 
Monster. You know, he's 224 drop tines. I mean, this is a buck of 10 lifetimes. And I was not going to stop until I had a photo of that buck. And uh, and it was very, very difficult. It had relatively light colored horns. I, I, and it took until I moved that buck out away from the backdrop, like you talked about, uh, and and lost a little bit of that super sunlight. We were kind of getting late in the evening when, when that photo session kind of came together. And, and finally, I got a photo, but it took a while. Sure, sure. Those high contrast animals and the high contrast antlers, like you were talking about, whitetail antlers being really light colored, it makes it hard for the camera to ex- properly expose those next to some of the darker backgrounds. Some of the other animals that are particularly difficult to photograph sometimes can be turkeys because of their dark color. Uh, black bears can be very difficult because there's there's so much contrast between them and the surroundings. Um, are there any other animals that you've run into that are particularly difficult, Randy? Well, I think every animal at some point has created me a challenge, right? And sometimes it's the shape of the antlers. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's the train that you're in. Sometimes it's uh, uh, you know the, the the sunlight. I mean, I've I've struggled on and off with with almost everything, but I I do find personally that white-tailed deer are tough for me to get to. You know, I've I've had less success, I would say, there than maybe you know some of the other animals and black bears. But black mm-hmm. bears kick my butt because when a black bear hits the ground, he's like a big bag of blubber, right? And he just out on the ground. And really, to get a black bear to really show his true size yeah. is a trick. And, uh, you know, so that's just another element that you've got to think about. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I keep coming back to, to this. And this is what's always on my mind when I'm taking a photo. Go through in all these steps, trying to think about all this stuff. Um, you know, carry a little checklist in your pocket about try this and try that. And don't forget this. And don't be, you know, afraid of, of, of trying something that you've never tried before. But at the end of the day, when I'm looking at that photo, the question is, is this picture true? truly look like what this trophy animal really is is he look the right size is he as pretty as he's supposed to be is he you know just you just want to make sure that that photo represents that animal when you're done and if you work hard and don't give up until you get that shot 99 percent of the time you'll end up getting that shot yeah yeah you're gonna you're, you're not going to if you take 100 photos you're not going to get 50 of them that you like. That's right. <laughs> you're going to get you're going to get four. <laughs> you know, something along those lines. So that gives you an idea of how many you've really got to try and take in order to come out with something that you're really happy with. Um, so we've talked about taking photos with cell cameras now. So some of the other options are little point and shoot cameras, um, and then there's you know, moving up to a bigger camera like a DSLR. Um, do you have experience with either of them, guys? And have you, anything that you like about them, like to use any recommendations on on what people could, should look for if they're going for one? <laughs> I don't have, I mean, I'm not a professional photographer like, like you are, Danny. But, right, um, right, right. So I do have a point and shoot. It's a Sony. It's got tons of features, but it's super easy. I just put it on auto. Um, and I can take all the photos we just talked about. I can turn the flash on and take all the photos we just talked about with flash. So the little point shoot for me is super easy. It's also small enough. I can have it, um, in a pouch on my waist belt on my backpack so I can get it out. And like we mm-hmm. talked about taking pictures during the hunt, um, I can get it out easy and take a picture, put it right back. I don't have to take my backpack off and dig, you know, into my backpack to get a bigger camera out. So, uh, between the phone and my little right. Sony, uh, I get all the photos that I need if I'm out there by myself. Um, but I I do recognize the difference in a nice uh, DSLR body and a nice lens. Um, when I've hunted with you, we've got some amazing photos. Taylor, who works here, he's our photographer here at Hoyt. When he's been on hunts with me, the quality of the photo, you, you can't deny it. The, 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 there's just a an incredible quality that comes from a setup like that and a photographer who knows how to use that setup. So if, if that's something that's of interest to you, you want to go down that road, um, you know, that's, that's a whole nother discussion, but, but it's, but it's worth it if you're wanting to get those kind of photos to learn how to use that gear. 
Yeah, and I think the trick to that is also at that level is to be have an interest to do photography. And don't don't go invest in a bunch of camera gear to only try to get a hunting photo once in a while, right? But if you have an interest in photography, you should definitely go down that path because everything we've talked about will become super easy and you'll if you have any photography interest in you at all, um, you will find you're doing a way better job collecting a whole bunch of just fantastic photos with better camera gear, hundred percent. Right. But my question for you, Randy, is you've, you've been around and I know that you've probably worked with DSLRs in the past before the cell phone cameras were good. Are you at the point now where you're only using your cell phone camera most of the time, (laughs) or do you still have a larger camera or a point and shoot type camera that you're also using? So what I want to say is that you should carry a point and shoot with you also, as Jeremy described. Right. I will say the last several years, I haven't found myself doing that as, as I have discovered that with a little bit of extra effort and for what I'm looking for out of a photo, I'm able to get the photo that I want very effectively and fairly easy off, off my cell phone camera. And I I hate to say it, but I would say for the last three to maybe four years, the only thing I've had in my backpack has been my cell phone. And, um, and there are times where that has let me down, where I wish I would have had a little better camera. And it makes me think about at least getting back to where I was prior to that, which is where I was carrying a, you know, a, a nice point and shoot kind of camera as well. Um, it's a good idea to have a camera in your backpack beside your cell phone. There's just no doubt about it. Right. Um, if nothing else, you know, don't let your, you, you know, so you, you lose a battery or your cell phone dies you know you know there's all kinds of things that can go wrong because you always want to make sure you have a camera on you um but yeah i found myself more recently just just getting it done with my cell phone sure well and for me i've 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 dived deeper into photography over my career and I do have a DSLR DSLR setup in my pack. Um, but I'm not accessing that very often. I'm finding that 90% of the time, most of the photos that I'm taking, uh, along the trip, all of the field photos and buddy photos and things like that, unless we're going to really stop and take the time to set up a photo shoot type thing, that DSLR stays in my pack. Most of what I'm doing is just with the cell phone. Um, The camera on that cell phone is actually, in a lot of cases, a better camera than you're actually finding in a bunch of the the point and shoots that we used to carry around. But the advantage of having a, a point and shoot or DSLR. DSLR is a completely different dive. That's a much deeper dive into into photography and a next level thing. But the biggest advantage of having a point and shoot in your bag somewhere is that more powerful flash. And if you run into a situation, especially for trophy photos, being able to take that thing out and have a little bit more powerful flash um, it can make a huge difference at the end of the hunt. But like these guys just said, for somebody who's really interested in in really developing their their uh, their photography skills and learning more about it, man, there's some affordable kits out there. Uh, DSLR kits that come with a uh, with a lens and with a little bit of training on uh, the basics of photography, depth of field and exposure and things like that, you'd be amazed at what you can do with a uh, 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 just a beginner course, basically on photography and picking up one of those affordable kit lenses and 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 kit DSLR kits. So, um, is there anything? Oh, we should talk about having a tripod. Uh, yeah, it's super important. Absolutely. If you don't have a tripod now, especially super important. And and especially if you're hunting by yourself, I mean, the biggest mistake that I think hunters have when they hunt by themselves is they don't think they can take a picture of themselves. And I've done, I I mean, I will argue to say that I've taken more than 70% of my photos of my, of my animals by myself. You know, I, I typically hunt by myself and, um, the tripod is essential and you don't need a big, for that purpose, you don't need a big, heavy duty, fancy tripod. I mean, I carry a little plastic tripod i mean the thing at its maximum height mm-hmm. is maybe two feet you know maybe two and a half feet feet tall it doesn't weigh anything that's always in my backpack um with a simple little adapter that i can hook my cell phone to it and boom you can you can get some photos but even if you have a friend with yeah. you right 
it's a good idea to go ahead and set up on the tripod and let your friend just push yep. the button rather than actually try to hold the camera. Which I, I do that a lot. And I've certainly had lots of hunts where I ran off without my dog on tripod and at I end up trying to balance the camera or the cell phone or whatever on top of a backpack. It's horrible. It's terrible. You need a lightweight tri- tripod like Randy's talking about. And if you're doing it with a cell phone, you have to buy an adapter that goes on that tripod. And the difference in your photos is going to be night and day, especially if you're by yourself. Um, because you can get those angles. You, you get up and you move the camera over real quick and then you hold the head at different angles. You can set your cell phone to, to take a burst of 10 different photos change the position of that animal's head just a, a couple of inches on uh, throughout that burst of 10 photos. And it's amazing. And your, 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 your camera then is set up exactly where you want it to be. One thing that I would say about super, super lightweight tripods, like, like, uh, Randy's talking about, I had a, I think it was a Bushnell super lightweight, uh, it, it was just a plastic type tripod, perfect for backpacking and things like that. Be prepared to take a rock bag and hang it underneath that tripod. Um, in certain situations, it's they're they're really light, but the the lightness is a double edged sword. If you get a little bit of wind, all of a sudden your camera's shaking all over the place, or even can go down and bust your camera. Um, and just having a little bag that you can hang from the bottom of it, weigh that thing down, um, makes it a whole lot easier to deal with. Um, so that's just, that's just one tip that I have for you. Um, let's see. So after all of this, Randy, is there a, do you have a favorite hunting photo that no, you've ever taken? I have hundreds. I have hundreds of favorite photos that I take. <laughs> you don't have one particular uh, favorite? You know, I, I do actually have a particular photo that, that I think is my favorite photo in the sense of trying to get a photo in a very difficult situation. Um, I've got a lot of great photos uh, over the years. Um, and, and so I don't know that I could actually call out that I have a favorite, but I shot a, a buck about 175 inch buck on the West desert out here in Utah in the middle of the day on a sagebrush hillside, sun straight up. Uh, this is a buck that's, that's, that's fairly narrow. And the day I shot him, he came out of velvet. So his antlers were pure white mm-hmm. and I could not get a photo of that, of that deer that I was happy with. I mean, again, every photo I took, it's like, but that doesn't look right. like my buck, you know, and that doesn't do him justice. And he's, he's bigger than that, or that makes him look too big. And I was on a really, really steep hillside. And, um, the only shade that was anywhere close to me was about 400 yards straight down this hillside going the wrong direction, by the way. And I made a decision. I made a decision to kick that buck off that hill. I drug him down, uh, completely whole, not gutted or anything. And it was steep enough to do that by myself. And I drug that deer down, put him in that shade. And then I got an awesome photo of that buck. The work for the rest of the day was a lot harder because I had an extra 400 yards of straight up to pack that deer out. But at the end of the day, I was super proud, if you will, of the ability to finally capture a picture of that buck that represented that buck for what he really was. And I would have to say that, you know, in the grand scheme of what we're talking about, that's probably my favorite story. That's awesome. That's awesome. You, Jeremy? Um, Danny, yeah, one of my favorite photos, favorite hunting photos, actually photo that you took. We were hunting together with our boys in Nebraska. We had uh, between the, the me and my two boys and you and your two boys, between the six of us, we all shot two toms. And so we had 12 turkeys and the six of us. And we knew it was, we knew it could be a really good photo but we knew we couldn't just, you know, plop them down on the ground where we were. So, um, you and I took a little drive and we found a field with some big round hay bales on the edge of the field. And we went back, got the boys, brought them back and we set up on those hay bales. And I think just taking the time to find that really cool location, it was pretty early in the morning. We had really good light, uh, had the tripod and I don't know, it was just, I have that mounted or uh, framed in my office here and it was it's probably 10 years ago that we took that photo, but it's been one of my favorite. I think it just, it probably just that little extra work we put into finding the spot, getting everybody posed, cleaning up, making sure, you know, there wasn't a bunch, we didn't have our water bottles laying on the ground next to us. I mean, we cleaned up everything right. around us and just took a great shot. And 
when I show that picture to people today, they, they just still like, wow, what an amazing picture. What a great picture. So that's probably one of my favorites. Well, it, did, it didn't hurt that that was the most epic turkey hunt of <laughs> all time. We told our boys when that happened that you guys are never going to go on a turkey hunt this good again. And that's they haven't right. yet. Yep. <laughs> I haven't. I don't think we well, ever will be. Um, my favorite one, it, it, you know, I've, I've got some that are probably – more sentimental to me than this photograph. But my favorite one that I worked the hardest for was uh, I took a, a, a big Colorado Shiris moose. And I remember walking up to that thing and seeing it on the ground. It was the first time I'd ever seen a big bull moose on the ground. And it's like a dinosaur. I mean, I, you, you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? And um, I was by myself and had to try, he was in willows and I'm like, how, how am I going to get a good photograph of this thing? And, and I ended up basically being like a lumberjack and having to take all kinds of stuff out of there. And then once I got it cleared to where I thought that I was going to be able to get something good, just the chore of getting that bull kind of rolled up in a position and then trying to, I really, really wanted to, to take a bull on that trip that was kind of a wide laid out moose, kind of like an Alaskan Yukon and not uh, a taller, narrower one, like a, like a Shiris usually looks. And so in order to show off his width, I needed to get that head into a certain position for me to be able to show it. And unbelievably after all of that, I came out with a photo at the end of that thing that was just amazing. It was everything that I wanted, but I, I, I had to work my tail off. And then that was the only, only the beginning of all that work. Randy's been uh, on the ground with a couple of big bull moose and he knows exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, I treasure that one just because I had to work so hard to get it. And that's the key is working hard to get that photo that you want. And in the position that, um, you know, I've, I've worked in the publishing industry, the publishing side of bow hunting for a very long time. And Jeremy and Randy have been uh, over here at Hoyt and deal with catalogs every single years, every single year, and hundreds and hundreds of success photos from uh, from customers. And we've seen a lot of hunting photos in our days, and we felt like it was important uh, to lay it out here because everybody wants to have good photos, and we've all seen spectacular animals that were taken that, you know, people just plain and simple didn't work hard enough to get a good photo of that animal. And inevitably when they're done and it's all said and done and they come back and they're sending their photo of this trophy to Hoyt and they're like, man, that trophy is, is worthy to be like in a Hoyt catalog or something. And it's the biggest bummer in the world to look and say, man, it's, it's just not a photo that we can, that we can put out there. Um, We've got a responsibility as bow hunters uh, to to do our community justice. And Randy, I I know that you're really passionate about this subject. And to close us out, would would you say a few things about what our responsibilities are as bow hunters and what we need to be thinking about when we put these things together? Yeah, well, I think it's you know it's a it's dangerous times for us as a community of, of hunters in general. Um, you know, we're constantly under attack by everybody and, uh, you know, the anti-hunting movement and those things, and it's not going to go away. And so one of the dangers, I mentioned this earlier with social media, is how easy and how fast it is to just put stuff out there. And now we're talking about, geez, you really should just go ahead and go take your photo with your cell, your cell camera. And literally, in, in the moment, before you even got your gutting knife out, you know, you can send this picture that you've just taken to your friends and to your family and, you know, and, and it gets posted or it gets posted on social media really, really quickly. And that is very dangerous for us in, in this environment. And I, I think, again, the danger isn't that we're doing it. The danger is, is that we're putting really terrible photos out there. And so we really need to make sure that, you know, we're doing these things as part of it's, it's, it's beyond just getting a good photo. And now it does step over the line into just being responsible to our bow hunting community and our hunting community and all those kinds of things. Let's don't give the anti hunters, you know, ammunition, if you will, because we're putting bloody, gory, 
you know, kill pitchers out there. And I know even on this podcast, it's hard to do. Uh, when we, when we talk, we talk about shooting animals and we talk about killing animals and, and that's one thing, but when we're ever putting anything out in written form, my suggestion is, as we eliminate those words from our vocabulary and we talk about harvesting the animal or we take about talk about taking the animal you know the idea of killing stuff and the idea of shooting stuff and the idea of showing a lot of blood and letting that get out there does not do our hunting community any good at all it just fires up and adds ammunition to to the anti-hunting movement so there is a big responsibility that we need to take um and i and i think about that often too when i'm taking photos as i think about if this photo gets out there am i going to be embarrassed about it is the hunting community going to be embarrassed about it and it helps kind of keep me grounded in thinking about where and hard to get a really good photo, get that blood out of there, do all those kinds of things. So I think that's something we all should think very, very seriously about before we post a lot of stuff in the in the digital age. I couldn't have said it any better. Well, we hope that everyone picks something, uh, picks something up from this. Um, even if you've been doing it for a long time, hope you picked up a little tidbit or tip that will help you out in the field this fall. We hope that you have the opportunity to take a trophy photo this fall. And if you do, uh, please feel free to share them with us. We'd love to see them. Everybody, good luck this fall, and we will see you sometime now down the road.